And concerning evangelistic praying, Paul mentions to the church at Colossae for that church to gather themselves together and when they pray, to pray for him and to pray for certain things. And we want to look at those things and then we want to make application to ourselves. We're not the Apostle Paul. I think all of us agree with that. But uh, to make application to ourselves in our own purposeful uh, going to uh, try to reach people to disciple them. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, so that I may may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Now last Lord's Day afternoon service, we took a look at the attitude. What type of spirit should we have when it comes to evangelistic praying? And we took a look at our attitude toward religious people. And of course, evangelism is just more than inviting people to church, although we certainly want to do that. Evangelism is more than just trying to be a friend to them. We ought to be a friend to everybody, right? But what is it? Well, evangelism ultimately is a work of God in men's souls for life to occur. And it's just amazing that we get to be the medium for that to happen. And to see that happen in the life of a person is amazing. And so we have a responsibility not to do God's work for Him. Many people have this idea that when I am going to make disciples that I'm the one that has to do the making. And so you come up with all kinds of turn the lights down low in the service and have the right mood music and make sure that you know you're wearing the right thing and we certainly want to wouldn't want to be offensive in any of those areas but we can't make people get born again. But what we can do is give them the message. And that's what we need to do. Now, what kind of attitude should we have, especially toward people who are religious or people who say that they're spiritual? What type of attitude should we have? Well, we should have sorrow. Because they are wanting to establish their own righteousness. They're actually setting up their own religion. And it kind of reminds me of Cain. God told Abel to bring a sacrifice at an appropriate time. And of course, Abel did that, right? But Cain, he didn't bring a sacrifice. He decided that he was going to approach with what the best that he had, not following God's word. And of course, we know giving God the best that we have doesn't do anything. We need to submit ourselves to the righteousness of God. So there needs to be a measure of sorrow in one's heart. And of course, Paul had great sorrow for 
his people according to the flesh, that is, the Jew. And then secondly, our attitude should be unceasing grief. We really need to recognize that our grief over people who are not submitting themselves to the righteousness of God is unceasing. We should not, we should not want to cause that to stop. We should want to have, we should look at people. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I do it quite frequently. And you'll see a football stadium or something, and you look out and you look at all those people that are there. There may be 25,000, there may be 40,000, there may be in big stadiums, Ohio State, Buckeye Stadium, maybe 80,000, 60,000 people. That's a lot of people. And sometimes I'll look at all that mass of people and I'll think to myself, I wonder how many genuine believers are there in that building right now. And when you think about that, <clears throat> there just has a tendency to be a measure of grief come over. I don't know if you've ever seen a football game. This happened, my wife and I were watching one this past week, and <clears throat> it started raining. So people, of course, there's always people that leave, but they put their, you know, hoodies over, you know, and they're, they're sitting there, and they're up north somewhere, and they're, they're just kind of like shivering, but they're, they're watching the ball game, and they're cheering. And I always think to myself, would they do that and come to church? I mean, people don't go to church unless the temperature is exactly 72 degrees. The chairs are entirely comfortable. But here's these people devoted to a particular sport and particular team. And they're out there in the rain, sometimes in the snow. You know, up in Green Bay, they have below zero and the winds are blowing. You see all, those, all the fans are up there just, you know, bundled up together or saying, go Green Bay, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> and you sit there and you think about this and you hear some of the excuses that God's own people give. And it's just a grief. There's a, there's a sorrow. You really don't want that to leave. You don't want to become numb to that type of thing. And then Paul had <coughs> an intense desire for them to be saved. He didn't just look at it and acknowledge it as we all do at times, but he had an intense desire for them to be saved. In fact, he's willing to give his what? His, life. his own life for this to happen. And I made mention last week that when you have great sorrow and you have unceasing grief and you combine that with intense desire, what happens is you can actually say this, my heart's desire and prayer to God for that religious person is for them to be, for them to be saved. What a challenge for all of us. And of course, our Lord did that, did He not? <clears throat> he gave His life so that we might be saved. Now this afternoon, I want to look at <clears throat> this purposeful praying for a door. Purposeful praying for a door. You'll notice here in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4 that Paul knows that the church is 
giving themselves to prayer, and he encourages themselves to do that. He encourages them to give their strength to this. He encourages them in their praying to be alert, to be watchful. And he encourages them to continue with praying in alertness with an attitude of thanksgiving. We are to be maintaining those three things when we come together as a congregation to pray. Praying is just not part of the program. Praying is just not something we do. We bow our heads and then we go with it. You know, glad that's over. We can get on with the service. We are actually praying to a resurrected Lord who is alive, who is here, who is listening, who wants to hear our heartfelt prayer. And when we just pray with our mouths, but our hearts are far from what we're doing, He's not well pleased with this at all. And so we are to pray. We're to be alert in praying. We're to pray for one another. We're to pray for the world's situation. We're to pray for what Paul is desiring them to pray for him for. And that is an open door. So he gives this thing here to them. When they pray, give their strength to it. When they pray, be alert. And when they pray, be, be thankful. Be thankful. Just don't be gloomy in the prayers like I have a tendency to do. But be thankful in the midst of all that. And then Paul comes around to specific prayers for him, and I'm going to use this phrase, for him and his evangelistic team. He says in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way that I should speak. So first of all, he says, praying for us, that God would open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So in those three things, he's praying for the whole evangelistic team. We're not quite sure on who that team comprised of, but the men that are mentioned here in this book of Colossians involve, of course, the Apostle Paul. He does mention Timothy. He does mention Epaphras. He does mention Titicus, Onesimus. Aristarchus, Marcus, Justice, Luke, and Demas. So we don't know if all of them were involved in all that team concurrently at the same time, but they had at least been part of Paul's ministry team at one time or another. And this comprises, did you count the number of men? Ten men that Paul was requesting prayer for. And he desires that the church would stay alert in this area of praying for them as they went out and carried the gospel to pioneer areas. So here's your ten men. 
<coughs> what do they need prayer for? Well, they need to be prayer that God would open up to us a door for the Word. Brethren, that's exactly what we need today, isn't it? Now, I think most of the time we're satisfied if we just get an opportunity to invite somebody to church. But this really isn't what Paul is desiring. He really is desiring that the Lord would grant them an opportunity to speak, now look at verse 3 again, to speak forth the mystery of Christ. That's really what he is asking them to pray for. A door in which they go through this door, this door gives them an opportunity to open their mouths, and that they would open their mouth with the mystery of who? Of Christ. That's what Paul is praying for. And folks, we, we need to pray for that today. I think it would do two things for us. First of all, it would keep our mind looking for those opportunities. If you're praying for an opportunity, and you're doing it periodically throughout the day, let's say, then you're, you're more open to seeing the possibility than if you're praying for it, say, on Monday and not praying and looking for it any other time of the week. Everybody following me? This isn't a chastisement that we should pray specific things every day or whatever. I'm just saying, when you have an intense desire for something, you pray for it. And if you pray for it, then you look for the answer for it <clears throat> to happen. What is this door? <clears throat> well, we have two instances in our New Testament of a door being spoken of. And I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is speaking to this church at Corinth. And... <clears throat> He is telling them about his plans and his love for them. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 12, Paul says, Now when I came to Troas, so there he is at a city, when I came to Troas, I came there for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord... <clears throat> so here's what we know. What's a door? Well, in this case, Paul's traveling to a city. Okay, We live in a city. Okay? Paul's traveling to a city. And when he gets to that city, he's in that city for what reason? For the gospel of Christ. Okay, That's why he's there. It's purposeful, right? Mm -hmm. He's there for a purpose. It's for the gospel of Christ. So there he is in Troas. He's there for the right reason. And when a door was opened. So what that means is, in the community of that city, 
in some sector of that city, God opened up an opportunity. Now, of course, Paul would take an opportunity, wouldn't he? He didn't always have to have it presented to him on a gold plate. But he had that opportunity. He preached the gospel, and evidently people gave attention to what he was preaching. Now, I'm not saying that everyone got saved, but they were paying attention to what he was preaching. What is that? That's a door open. What did Paul do when the door opened? He opened his mouth and he spoke the mystery of Christ. So that would be a door, would it not? Secondly, if we turn to Acts chapter 16, I think we all remember this. Here the word door is used for the entryway into someone's heart. This is the word preached, finding an entrance into someone's heart. Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, Paul, on that Sabbath day, he goes down to a riverside and he went down there because they thought that they would find a place of prayer down there. And when they went down there, verse 13 of Acts 16, They sat down, evidently there wasn't a prayer meeting there, but they sat down and began speaking to the women who had been assembled there. And verse 14 says, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. So evidently, she might have been a convert. Is she worshiping God? She is worshiping God. She's down there by the riverside. And she was listening. And as she was listening, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So when we're talking about this door, pray for us that God would open up a door for utterance so that we may speak. probably refers to us speaking to people. Or maybe in a small crowd. But speaking to them. And then there's this door. That as you're speaking, God opens up the door of someone's what? Heart. And they understand and they see the majesty and the glory and the beauty of Christ risen. And they listen to this and the Lord works in their heart and at the same time they're responding and they come to Christ and are born again. Certainly we ourselves need to understand that unless we get an opportunity to open our mouths with the gospel, we're not going to see anyone saved. I mean, it's just simple as that, right? We've got to be willing, whether it's lost people, whether it's religious people who are lost, whether it's be immature believers, we have to be willing to open our mouths and to give them... (coughs) the portion of the gospel that they need 
for their particular circumstance. Now, they may not like that, but then again, <clears throat> the Lord just might open a door, right, into people's hearts. And <clears throat> we're always surprised by that because we know it takes the Lord to do that. Folks, sometimes when we are dealing with people, we have to be like our Lord at the church at Laodicea. What was the Lord doing at the church at Laodicea? He was standing at the what? He was standing at the door and... And I'm going to confess to you, it is discouraging to day after day or week after week to try to talk to people, give them tracks, try to look for that door, and it's like all you're doing is this on their heart. But they never open their heart. Do you get discouraged like that? And folks, I do think that in that case, you and I ought to take a lesson from the patience of our Lord. He's just standing there knocking. And he says, if any man inside that church would open the door, he would what? He would come in like in Lydia's heart. We need to pray not only that we are good knockers on the door, but we need to pray that the Lord will open the door of people's hearts and that they will respond to the Gospel of Christ. Now what do we do when they open up? Sometimes we have to make an opportunity. Uh, my wife and I uh, was at the grocery store after one of the services and it wasn't a long line and the grocery lady was checking us out and so it got brought up, this thing going on in Israel. And the woman said to me, <clears throat> she said, I just don't understand why they can't get along. And I said, well, <clears throat> that's gonna, the answer to that is going to have to take you all the way back to Genesis. You see what I was doing? I was trying to see if the door would open. The door wasn't there. I had to make it there. But I was knocking to see if there would be a response. We mentioned my wife on the airplane. Many times you get on an airplane and you've got somebody next to you and you never get a chance because they got the earphones off and they're off in some other world and they stay that way the whole time. But here, here's a person right there, doesn't have the earphones on, you get to say something and you mention something. You casually approach the subject of the Lord to see if what? To see if they will engage with you. That's knocking on the door because your intention <clears throat> is to give them the gospel. And folks, I want to remind you that the gospel is not just the gospel for justification, it's also the gospel for sanctification. We're trying to bring people forward in their walk 
there with the Lord. So it's a purposeful praying for a door. And once the door is open, what we want to do is speak. And you'll see that in verse 3. To speak forth the mystery of Christ. And of course, that is the mystery. And we just came through a series in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, <clears throat> verses 4 and following about this great mystery. We go into before the foundation of the world and go into God's election and God's adoption and what God has done. And then in the middle of that passage, how the Jewish people responded and how the Ephesian people responded. And then at the end of that, he goes through when he prays and he says, now I just want you to know, all of this God did in Christ. And that's what he's saying here when he refers to the mystery of Christ. He's referring to everything that God has done in Christ. From before the foundation of the world up into the point where that person turns to Christ in repentance and faith all the way to the point of glorification they stand before Him. It's a purposeful asking for a door to be opened so that they may speak forth the mystery of Christ. In other words, that they may speak forth the Word of God. And folks, it really isn't going to be our clever argumentation that's going to win people. You may win them to yourself, but that's not really what you want. You want them to be one to the Lord. And we need to do that prayerfully, purposefully, for the right intention. And then in verse 4, he begins to turn his attention from we and us to himself personally. He makes the transition at the end of verse 3 for which I have also been imprisoned. So he has suffered for this, has he not? Everybody's not received his message. There's been opposition. He's imprisoned. <clears throat> and what Paul wants the church to pray, he wants to pray all of those things, <clears throat> but for Paul specifically... He wants them to pray that, verse 4, that he may make it clear in the way he ought to speak. Plainness of speech is a necessity when it comes to the gospel. Sometimes we try to water it down a little bit or we try to phrase things in ways that we think it won't be as offensive to the person. And I'm not saying to be offensive. But folks, when it comes, when it comes to telling people, you need to be saved, well, what does that mean? You need to be saved because you are a sinful person. There's an offense to that to lost people because they think they're okay. They would agree with you that they do some bad things every now and then. 
But to turn and say, you are utterly dead to God, and you need to be saved from that deadness, because you are dead in trespasses and sins, <coughs> that is a message, especially in our nation today, that is utterly repulsive to people. And to say that plainly, and to say that with all the words that you need to give for that occasion, is going to take wisdom. You're going to need wisdom for what to say, right? And you're going to need boldness. You're going to need, I'm not talking about a brazenness. I'm not talking like a bulldog type of mentality. Remember, you have continual sorrow and grief. This is an attitude where you've got to hear this message. This message is the thing that you need to pay attention to. <clears throat> this isn't, oh, maybe you need to do this, or tell me how you feel about doing this. This is a command from God. <clears throat> he commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. To repent. And folks, you know how it is. People do not like to be told they're wrong. And the way they retaliate is by accusing you of being self-righteous about it. They're trying to earn their way to heaven by establishing their own self-righteousness, but when you confront that, they will accuse you of being self-righteous. And of course, the answer to that is, <clears throat> well, I'm not telling you any... Not, I'm, I'm just telling you what God has said in the Bible. Have you ever looked at what God has said in the Bible? And of course, their answer most of the time is going to be what? No. Going to be no, or close the door, or I'm not talking to you, or you lost a friend, or whatever. But folks, if we're not plain, then we might be in danger of healing their wounds slightly. The wound's still there. It may not be oozing and as cancerous as it was, but it's still there. No, we want the wound healed. And the only thing that can heal that is their repentance and full persuasion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that and that alone is the power of God. And I do think it's instructive for us to consider the fact that Paul was concerned that he might not make it plain and clear. Why would I say that? You don't ask people to pray for something unless you're concerned about it, right? And he wants prayer that he would open his mouth and speak forth, which means that Paul has the same temptation that you and I have, and that is to be silent. And by the way, there are those rare occasions where we do need to be silent. But most of the time, that's not our danger. Our danger is not opening our mouth. 
And brethren, this is how we ought to apply it for ourselves. We're not the Apostle Paul. You're not a pioneer missionary. <laughs> okay. And you're not operating in a land that's never heard the gospel. We're operating in a land that has heard the gospel many, many times, although this generation and perhaps the previous generation were beginning to lose any knowledge of the gospel except their own preconceived notions. How do we apply that today? Well, here's some areas that we could be praying. <clears throat> we could be praying for a door in our services. Now, why would you pray for an open door in the services? Well, folks, the reason why you would pray for an open door in the services is because you have contact with people before the worship service, and you have contact with people after the worship service. Is that not right? And folks, you ought to be looking, looking for those opportunities to even approach the subject with people, even here in our own services. And of course, you've done that in areas of believing people. Perhaps you noticed that they were sad and you got to talking to them and you got to pray with them or pray for them or give them a word of encouragement. That's looking for the opportunity, right? But what we're here looking for is an opportunity to give the mystery of Christ. <clears throat> Church is not ultimately for lost people. Church is for believers. But 1 Corinthians 14 says that you will have lost people come into the service. And they should fall under conviction under the preaching of the Word. And folks, if that conviction is there, if you just say, okay, any lost person entering our services, they're, they're going to come under conviction, then you've got a door to talk to them about their spiritual condition. And we should be looking for that. So in our services. <clears throat> Secondly, we should be looking for a door in our families. And I would include in there our extended families. And those are areas that are very difficult. The Bible says that a prophet is not honored in his own nation, in his own country, and among his own peers, his family. But surely we have extended family, members of our family, that are not walking in the ways of the Lord. And folks, they may not know the Lord. I wouldn't just assume, and I just wouldn't give the benefit of the doubt. It would be better to pray for their salvation and to ask for a door so that you can speak forth the mystery of Christ than just to assume something that may not be true and miss the opportunity. <clears throat> It was someone praying for a door in my wife's situation that when she tapped him on that shoulder 
in that college classroom, he knew the door had opened. <laughs> and he spoke plainly. And her response was anger and rejection. But what happened with that plain speech? It did lodge. And that person, I don't know how long it was, maybe a week later, got to thinking. You know, it's not, you know, you're there on the back of your bed, you start thinking, well, what if they're right? This is the Holy Spirit working, right? But what did it take? It took a plain spoken word and it took the willingness of the person who spoke it to be rejected. And sometimes in our families, sometimes, and I've had to do this, I've had to do it with my children and just look at them and say, I hear what you're telling me, but what you're telling me and how you're living is not in agreement with what the Bible has to say. That's a hard thing to say. But sometimes we have to be that plain spoken. We can be praying for a door for that. <clears throat> we can be praying for a door to speak in our sphere of going into all the world. Every one of us here in this room has a sphere in which you function and you operate. I don't have the same sphere that you have. And you don't have the same sphere that I have. My wife doesn't always have the same sphere that I have. I don't have the same sphere that she has. <clears throat> but in our sphere, we can be praying for this door. That we can speak forth the mystery of Christ. And then lastly, under a door to speak, we can get even more bold we can certainly ask for a door to speak in our services, people who attend. We certainly can ask for a door to speak in our families, and our extended family. We can ask for a door to speak in our sphere of life, in our going, maybe to work or to play or to meet somebody or to have dinner with someone or whatever. But we can also ask for a door that's outside our normal sphere. And that's where we are all most uncomfortable. Meaning you could purposefully take a packet and say, I'm making something up, I'm going to go to the park today and I'm just going to walk. And if I see somebody, I'll approach them. That, that's really out of our comfort zone, isn't it? It's out of mine, it's out of yours. But we could do that. We could pray for a door outside of our sphere of life. And that's what Paul was praying for. You remember, he's going to places where Christ has never been heard. Never. Nothing. Zero. There's no church on every corner. 
so we can pray for a door. Secondly, we can pray that we be delivered from evil men. Paul was imprisoned. And what I mean by deliverance from evil men, I mean those who would be more violent in their response to our plainness of speech with them. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be rejected. I don't think Paul wanted that. I think sometimes we get the idea Paul was like a bull in a china shop and he just went regardless. Well, he was a human and he had feelings. But we need to pray for a deliverance from people. And then as I mentioned, number three, courageous proclamation. And then fourthly, <clears throat> we could pray this, that Lord, when You open that door and You give me an opportunity to proclaim the mystery of Christ, that You would give me joy unspeakable and thanksgiving. <clears throat> that we would really be thankful. Not because of our ingenuity, <clears throat> not because of our winsomeness, not because we said the right thing and they listened, but because God opened their heart and they received what we gave to them. And then I think I would be amiss not to mention this last one, and that is that we need to pray for one another that we do this. <clears throat> this brother needs to pray for that sister. That sister needs to pray for this sister. I need to pray for these people. We need to pray for these things to happen. And so folks, when we're talking about evangelistic praying, we're talking about caring about in this earthen vessel the Spirit of Christ about the lost. And we're talking about then having that right spirit that we purposefully pray for God to give us a door to speak the gospel. You could start it out this way. You could say, Lord, would you give me one this week? You could say, Lord, would you give me one every other day? Or you could just say, well, throw that into the wind. Let's pray for one every day. <clears throat> but let's pray for something. Right? And as we do that and the Lord blesses it, then we'll see the Word of God run and be multiplied. Oh, I so desire to see it multiplied in our community. Let's pray.